Hello, friend. Welcome to our podcast, Things My Boyfriend Likes, where I try to impress my boyfriend by talking about things he likes. I'm Victoria, here with my raven co-host, Theodore Bartholomew Stingle Pudding Esquire. Say hi, Theodore. <laughs> Excellent. Today, we're going to compare the first three episodes of Digimon Adventures, 1999 version, with the first three episodes of Digimon Adventures from 2020. One of these happens to be Sam's favorite show from childhood. The other is not. But before we get to that, I want to thank today's sponsor, Espresso. Espresso is really the only thing making this podcast possible. So please, run out and get more immediately, because there's a good chance I've entirely gone through our stash in the making of this podcast. Now let's get into it. I'm going to assume you're familiar enough with the 1999 episodes that I don't need to recap them in detail. Essentially, we meet Tai Chi and his crew who are at summer camp, and through some strange weather phenomenon, they are all transported to what is known as File Island. There, they are introduced to Digimon and how they evolve based on their humans. They spend the first few episodes meeting scary big predators and debating them, while also trying to figure out where they are and how to get home. They explore the island, make camp, forage for food, inventory their survival gear, and also try to call home via mysterious phone booths. They discover some of the properties of the devices that were given to them via Meteor before they were transported, but they don't really name them or figure out what they're for. Uh, We end with them kind of figuring out that the mysterious devices are important to evolving their Digimon in some way. They still don't know how to get home. They still don't know where they are. But there certainly isn't this sense of dread or hopelessness. It's very much like, oh, we're all in this mysterious land. Let's figure it out together. Um, Despite all being like 10 years old, they feel very resourceful and capable um, even though they, they understand that they're in trouble. So we have this, this safety, but also we have this idea that there's enough risk to keep us engaged. Now, the 2020 episodes are clearly a remake, um, but at least at first, it feels like someone was given the same characters in the same world and just kind of wrote their own thing. Uh, they don't really seem to have all that much in common with each other other than kind of the basic elements. The pilot episode opens with Tai Chi calling his mom as he packs for summer camp. He's probably not really old enough to be responsible to pack all of his own stuff for summer camp, but we'll just assume he is an extraordinarily responsible kid. Uh, we almost immediately meet Koshiro here, who lives in one of the apartments above Tai Chi. I will just take a moment to apologize for how I'm pronouncing any Japanese name or word, as I will probably be doing it wrong. I'm doing my best. Also, Kuro is here. Say hi. So we immediately learn two things. One, Koshiro is extremely talented with computers. And two, that there is an electronic disturbance growing like a virus across Tokyo. This is concerning to Tai Chi, especially because it's about to hint back to his mother and sister who were on a train. Upon finding out that his family is definitely in danger, Tai Chi rushes into action. What he thinks he's going to do is kind of unclear. And... He is transported under mysterious circumstances into the network. It's kind of like he jumps through a portal um, and arrives essentially in the internet. There we meet Agumon, who explains what Digimon are almost immediately. And we get our first taste of fighting viruses as they curl. 
please. You're interrupting. Yeah. Just that I don't want you on my lap right now. I know you're excited by the fact that I'm talking. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Hi. Uh, apologies if you hear any disturbances on the microphone. That would be Kuro brushing up against it because he insists that now is a good time to sit on my lap. So the important thing here is that we find that killing viruses in the network quotations, solves problems in the real world. Tai Chi and Agamon defeat a boss, and we see Agamon involve into Greymon. Just before the end of the episode, we get a glimpse of a mysterious white wolf-type creature along with a kid riding it. At the very beginning of episode two, we find out that the white wolf thing is actually a white fox, my bad, and that his name is Garumumon, I think. Uh, we don't immediately get to know his owner's name, but we do later find out that it's Yamato. I have here in my notes, the way Yamato sighs deeply when Tai Chi suggests they become a team means he's currently my favorite. That does not change, either in the 2020 version or in the 1999 version. Yamato is my favorite. I would die for him. So the plot of the week is that the viruses slash Digimon are trying to take over the American military, which is going to launch a submarine missile into Japan and destroy everybody. They arrive at the physical place where the virus is attacking the missile network, and they start to battle with Yamato, um, eventually figuring out that they have to work together to defeat the virus. There is a boss there that evolved bigger than it did the last time. Again, Yamato tries to take on the boss by himself, but can handle it and they work together. They think they beat it. The missile still launches as the boss arises from the ashes. We get this moment where a bunch more kids appear to be chosen by white feathers, including Tai Chi's little sister. We don't really get to see what the effect of that is. They aren't immediately like transported in or anything. A new Digimon appears that appears to be both part Greymon and Garumamon. And he, he looks like a transformer to me. He just looks like a transformer. Um, and then it fades to black. In episode three, this new thing speaks to Yamato and Tai Chi and fights the boss with them on its shoulders. This feels like a spiritual sort of figure in a strange way, particularly since he's associated with the white feathers for the other kids who we still haven't met yet. The boss takes over the whole network and appears to evolve again, creating a network of laser eyes. I will say that some of these monsters are like genuinely scary, and I understand why my mother didn't let me watch this when I was a kid. My notes here just say that magic sword ghost Lysi stab. Tai Chi and Yamato use their smart devices to help power up the big Digimon and defeat the missile together. Then Tai Chi is back in the real world, but with his new device so he knows it wasn't a dream and everything is back to normal. We get this strange scene, like this glimpse that Yamato and Tai Chi's little sister Hikari are talking via the weird smart devices. Um, so that's an interesting little tidbit. Um, we are then finally transported to summer camp where we meet Sora. Koshiro has a theory that Digimon are sentient AI, and then we see half of Tokyo go dark, and that's the end of episode three. So they made a bunch of big changes here, and holistically it feels like these changes effectively make the 2020 series feel very stripped down and slower paced. 
we only meet a couple characters at a time. We spend a lot of time in this weird liminal space that's mostly empty. However, the stakes are higher. While in 1999, the characters are just trying to explore and survive, in 2020, Taichi and Kushira have to save Taichi's family, and then all of Japan, which is a pretty heavy thing to do when you're 11. Yes, Theo, you make an excellent point, as always. It feels like the best way to start with this is the setting change. The liminal space that they put the kids into in 2020 feels very empty and intangible in a way that feels uncomfortable. Whereas in the 1999 version, they're transported into a land that looks vaguely familiar. Um, I think it's Koshiro who says that it looks like the plants are subtropical, but he's never seen anything like that before. But that does mean that there's like an element of familiarity here, something to ground them in the real world as if this is a real physical place. Since this place is called File Island, I'm assuming it isn't actually like a, a physical place that you can go to, but it certainly feels more real than just being transported into what they call the network, which it feels like they're just launching Tai Chi into outer space and then having Greymon transport him via portal wherever he needs to go. It doesn't feel like they're traveling distances. It feels like they can just pop in and out in a way that you just can't in the real world, which kind of takes away this like element of journeying that they do, particularly after you meet Yamato, because they're the writers essentially needed some quieter space where the characters could talk and get to know one another. And so you could get a feel for Yamato, but it feels weird when they could just automatically transport anywhere. I, it makes me immediately think about how this place is so non-physical in a way that in 2020 compared to 1999, a lot of kids play spaces are non-physical and in these liminal cloud network internet spaces where you can't actually like touch and hold these worlds. And I think there's definitely something interesting in the concept of being transported into the internet, a space that you can't really go that feels real, but isn't actually a real physical space and letting kids explore there. But when it's an empty wasteland, um, there's nothing to explore. It's not as fun as this jungle with lakes and oceans and treetops and random subway cars. You know, it's not a place that I would want to be stuck wandering. It feels like it could very easily take a much darker turn. Um, I don't like it there. I just don't. It doesn't feel as rife with possibility and opportunity as the physical island does, even if it's less digital. I think that there could have been a happy middle ground here where they could have made like everything out of pixels or like it's a digital tree and you get to pick pictures off of, you know, like they could have had some kind of middle ground where it still looks like a real place in the real world, but also feels very different. And I also wonder if there's some element of this is being written for both kids and for adults, knowing that probably some of the writers on this show might have grown up with Digimon or were very close to the age of growing up with Digimon. 
because it feels like this is a play space for an adult, not necessarily a play space that a child would think up for themselves just because it is so empty. I also think that this liminal space adds to that feeling that I have that this is a stripped down version, uh, which brings me to, sorry, Theo, us, <laughs> of course, brings us to talking about how in the 2020 version, we meet Taichi and Koshiro, and that's it for several episodes. We get Yamato in the next episode. We get like the briefest glimpse of Sora in the third episode. And that's kind of it. So I ended up watching the 2020 version before I watched the 1999 version. And I feel like that was the right call just based on the fact that there's so much less information in the 2020 version. It felt like the 1999 version was giving me a lot more. And I think if I had watched it in the reverse order, I would have felt a little bit cheated. Like, why didn't you give me those extra characters? Why are we in this weird space? Why didn't you give me all of these other things? And so this inherently assumes that the kids are not going to watch the 1990 show, that they're only going to watch the 2020 show, which I think is fine. It's clear that they wanted people to connect more with Tai Chi, who is obviously the main character, still is the main character in both. Um, he feels very much like the obligatory hero self-insert for 11-year-old boys in the 1999 version, too. But I think there's something that really lacks when there's the opportunity of having this big ensemble cast together. And I think this definitely comes from me viewing it as, as a girl, right? So originally there aren't any girls. Um, there's Hikari, but she's a little girl. She's like four or five. Um, and so you don't really see her as as like a, a self-insert in the same way that you can see Sora or even Mimi if you're more of that kind of a girl. When you have a bigger ensemble cast, and especially when they feel more like they're on the same level as Tai Chi, Tai Chi feels still like the main character, but like less of a main character because they obviously have to split up the screen time between all of these characters so that you get the sense of who they are. So it feels more like if I identified more with Sora or if I identified more with Yamato because he hates people, which I also hate, then I'm more invested because they get more screen time and I'm still able to see myself as part of the crew even if I don't feel like the standard hero Tai Chi. So I think there's definitely something to be said for providing kids with a bunch of options to kind of see themselves and particularly when there's only men uh, or boys in the first three episodes, two episodes. It also feels like if you don't have a girl character shown fairly early on as participating, is this only a show for boys? Am I allowed to watch this as a girl? This is, this is only a boys thing. I'm not even going to look at it, you know? So it feels very interesting that they made that choice on that level. Also, I didn't feel like I was confused about the characters when I was watching the 1999 version. Um, they have these little card things that come up in when you first meet them that are like, this is their name, this is their stats, this is what grade they're in. So it's very easy to reinforce that message. And also the 
personalities of the characters feel distinct enough that even if I can't remember all their names, I can definitely know which ones are which. And it just provides more of an interesting dynamic for Tai Chi to bounce off of. So I find it really interesting that they didn't want to overwhelm kids with that. When I, I don't think that it was overwhelming in the first place. And maybe I'm just older, so I'm able to keep track of these things. But it does feel like Digimon does a really good job of reinforcing this thing, particularly when you get like the recap at the beginning, you get those little info cards so you can like also read the information. It feels like they trusted their audience more than the 2020 version does. I also think the changing the stakes is a really interesting way to tell this story. I think it, in some ways it does make the 2020 version stronger plot wise, just because we, we have set goals that we're going towards rather than just kind of this aimless exploration that's happening in the first few episodes in the 1999 version. And it's very much kind of like a snappier storytelling. Um, even though there's a lot less going on in the episode, it feels still compelling. I mean, saving all of Japan is a compelling plot point. And I think that there's this overall trend, particularly lately that I've been noticing in storytelling, where the stakes have to be as high as they possibly could be. We saw this with um, Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon Forbidden West. That was one of my complaints about Forbidden West is that in Horizon Zero Dawn, she was saving the world. It was very, very high stakes. She's saving everybody in the entire world. You can't get higher stakes than that. But for Forbidden West, they felt the need to take it another level. And it just... <sighs> felt like that was very unnecessary because they had to undo a lot of the storytelling and a lot of the work that she'd already done in order to tell that story and still make it feel believable when lower stakes could still have been very high stakes because when you're attached to a character and you're following along on their journey, what matters a lot to them will also matter to you if you tell the story right. You know, I don't think that Aloy needed to save the world again, or we wouldn't find it interesting. I think it would also have been interesting if we saw her just trying to get more involved in her community and her tribe, or trying to simply figure out where do you go after you save the entire world? Like, what is what is your life after the happily ever after? And I think that's a really interesting question to ask. And I wish that more people would ask it. Um, and I think this is maybe especially important when we talk about kids' media when, yes, a lot of it is like saving the world, saving the universe, saving Gotham City or whatever, but children's problems can be very small. And I think kind of acknowledging that and acknowledging that your personal problems are good, valid problems and like you're still allowed to be upset about those things, you're still allowed to figure that kind of thing on your own it doesn't have to feel like this world ending city blowing up. My family is going to die if I don't do something thing. Um, I think there's something very safe and fun, but still interesting about just trying to survive on a strange island. So on the one hand, I can see why they did that. And it feels definitely more modern than the storytelling style of the 1999 version. But I don't think that they needed to make it that extreme. I think that the the plot would have held up fine 
on its own. I think overall it just makes me wonder if they just didn't think the kids were going to get it, which I think is just not giving kids enough credit, especially if they really love something, they will figure it out. And it's also fun to go back and rewatch things when you're a year or two older and see things that you missed. And I know that we've talked before about how often people are rewatching things, especially as kids, especially as people who exist in this digital age who have access to every show ever made, pretty much. So what is the incentive there to go back and rewatch something when you could just watch the new next thing? Because there's always going to be a new next thing. Which I think that criticism is is valid, for sure, that people are going to rewatch things less when they have access to everything. It's not like people are going to rewatch the same 50 VHS tapes like I did when I was a kid. But that said, kids are obsessive about the things that they like. They go all in. When they like something, they really like something. Kids really enjoy repetition, especially younger kids. It's very comforting to them. And if you have a favorite show, you will watch it over and over and over and over again. And I think that is just something inherent to childhood and being a kid and getting excited about things when everything is new and shiny. I don't think that's necessarily going to be taken away because everyone has so many options. So I think there should still be this expectation that kids are going to rewatch things and that it's okay not to spell everything out and that it's okay to have some details that you might have missed the first time and that you're not writing a show for a slightly below average kid who is also on their phone at the same time. You know, while that might be a significant chunk of your audience, that is not the person that you're writing for. And it feels very much like they wrote the new Digimon for that kind of an audience in some ways. So I think overall, the 1999 version definitely wins out for me in just terms of a fun comfort watch. The 2020 version certainly seems to have more action, but if I had to pick one to watch all of the episodes of, I would probably pick the 1999 version. To be fair, I think both would be watchable. Um, I don't think one is necessarily bad. I don't think the 2020 version is bad. I just think it's not as good. And I would be concerned about whether or not it would get better or if it would fall completely off the rails later in the season, as ideally you would be able to trust your audience more and be able to give them more information as they've kind of got the basics of what this world is. So yeah, you are currently at Starbucks about to be home any minute. Is there any final thoughts you would like to add, Theo? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wiser words have never been said. Okay, I think that is a great note to end off on. I hope you've enjoyed the pilot episode of the Things My Boyfriend Likes podcast. I will see you again next week. Ta-ta for now.